Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. I just want to try and connect with us all about the importance of being healthy, being psychologically healthy. About seven years ago, I found myself in a really difficult place, uh, feeling very stressed, feeling very anxious, uh, and I think at the time, therefore, suffering, albeit mildly, from a mental health uh, condition. Those are the words of a remarkable woman sharing her story in a very open and honest way with her workforce of around 7,500 people. She is someone who's been consistently voted as one of Health Service Journal's top 50 NHS chief executives. Someone who works tirelessly, day in, day out, to ensure the very best health and care outcomes for a population of around 630,000 people, whilst also being a very busy mum. Someone who has bravely faced her own mental health challenges head on. Hi, I'm Sean Duggan, Chief Executive of the Confederation's Mental Health Network, and it's my great pleasure to share with you the transformational story of Deborah Lee, Chief Executive of Gloucestershire Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. When she initially became unwell, she was told by her employers to pretend she was suffering from a physical illness, as this was perceived by her manager as being less flaky. Undeterred and refusing to be knocked off course, she continued to work to achieve her career goals. She also decided that mental ill health should not be seen as a weakness, nor should it be seen as stigmatised, and she set out to use her position as Chief Executive to portray positive messages about the importance of speaking out about your own mental health. Her first step was to write an internal blog to her staff on World Mental Health Day 2018 about her personal battle. As a regular blogger, this wasn't out of the ordinary for Deborah. However, the impact it was about to make was. This is Deborah's story. My personal journey with mental health was a relatively short one in that I had one episode of being uh, particularly unwell. Probably nearly a decade ago now, but the impact has stayed with me for a very long time. At the time I didn't recognise it or describe it as a mental health issue. I would talk about having a period when I fell over. It had been a kind of building, feeling work had been feeling more difficult. One day I think I was sat appraising somebody and just thought, I, I can't do this anymore, can't do this job anymore, felt overwhelmed. My heart was racing, felt sick. And uh, I went home that day and I didn't go back to work for, for quite a few weeks and progressively, as I kind of, I suppose, I, I gave in to how I was feeling, just progressively felt really unwell, massive anxiety, sleeplessness, pacing, couldn't concentrate. Um, just, yeah, I couldn't function in, in quite a kind of acute and dramatic way. My name's Deborah Lee and I'm the Chief Executive of Gloucestershire Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. At the time I was unwell but I got some help and I became well enough, put it that way, to go back to work relatively quickly. But the thing that struck me was the response when I got back and I had a great line manager and she'd been really great when I'd been off. And we'd been talking on, on the phone. Um, initially, I didn't want to talk to anybody, but so she'd been chatting to my husband quite a bit. And then she and I began talking. I came back to work and she was really supportive in terms of uh, enabling me to come back. 
But she introduced this notion of perhaps we'll just keep it between ourselves. But her introducing this notion just clicked for me how, for some people, it's a quite a stigmatised issue. And at the time, I colluded with that and kind of went along and thought, oh, yeah, she's probably right. And it was only then, as I became well and was firing all cylinders, again, that I began to reflect more on it. But the big light bulb moment was when I stepped into this role, my first chief executive's role, and I was on a programme called the Aspiring Chief Exec Programme. And it had this real theme around thinking what your leadership's for, what do you want to use it for? This is a massively privileged position. And it got me thinking about the way that I could say things positively for, for effects, so to use that privilege. And we were talking in the organisation about World Mental Health Day and I write a blog every Monday and do a lot of personal sharing in that, that blog. And a lot of people have, have said, oh, it's great to hear that you're a mum and a hockey player and that you've got the same stuff and grief that we have and makes you seem approachable and, and human. So it was an actual extension of, of that. Why would I keep a side of myself closed when I share so much about other aspects of, of myself? And the, the comms team approached me and said, have you got anything you can talk about in relation to mental health? Do you know anyone that's been affected by it? Have you managed anyone that's been affected by it? And I said, well, I've been affected by it. Here is some of Deborah's original blog. It's a heartening and impactful read, and I'm sure you'll see why it resonated with so many. Seven years ago, I found myself increasingly unable to cope with my work. My dominant emotion was a feeling of dread alongside an inordinate amount of time spent pondering a lottery win or, on my better days, running a tea shop. My heart raced, my stomach churned, and anxiety was my prevailing feeling. One day I walked out of work and didn't go back for two weeks. Unfortunately, this is a very common occurrence that's described by Deborah. So many people walk away from work. So many people don't get the support that they need for a mental health issue at work. What, of course, we need to be doing is accepting people's mental health issues as we would a physical issue in the workplace and support them to remain in work to continue with their line of duty. It was intentional to have a bit of personal disclosure about my own mental health. Uh, but what I hadn't thought through or hadn't prepared myself was, was the response and how it landed. That was the bit that really took me back. I got more emails from that week's uh, blog than I'd had in the previous two years or that I've had since. And it's the one that's still talked about. It's the one that when I go around the organisation, as I do a lot, I do back to the floor time. I'm, I'm very visible, I think, compared to, to many chief executives. It's the thing that people will remember. I remember the time you wrote about that thing. And those visible and approachable traits that Deborah just mentioned have helped all levels of staff feel comfortable to share their personal story with her and to seek medical help of their own. I remember one of the staff who wrote quite a long email saying that what I described was how he felt every day and that as a result he'd booked an appointment to go see his GP and then he wrote to me again saying I've seen my doctor, I'm going to go off work, I'm going to get some help and we've kept in touch, he's back to work now and you know, not flying, he still struggles a bit, but he's, he's back to work, he's getting help. So 
Yeah, I mean, that was probably one of the best emails I've kind of ever had in my career is, is something that you, you don't know how it's going to land to have landed just so positively. Hello, Abigail speaking. Hi. Another person in the organisation who feels Deborah's openness has had a positive impact on her own personal battle is Abigail Hopewell. Abigail is Head of Leadership and Organisational Development at the Trust and she has struggled with anxiety in the past. Yeah, so you know on the, um, on the second tab, there's that figure. I was just quite heartened to see that there was somebody very senior in the organisation um, and the leader of our organisation being so open and honest about her experiences. So I think, I think it was positive and I know anecdotally that just from talking to people that um, it had a really positive impact on a lot of people and they, they just felt wow, you know, this, 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 this really matters to the organisation and that actually people care about it and my, my chief executive cares about it. Certainly my own experience of working here is that I felt more confident in being able to share with my colleagues and my manager when maybe I have been having bouts of maybe anxiety because I do periodically suffer from odd blows of anxiety, sort of acute anxiety. And I did have that experience earlier on this year when I sort of felt I may be going into that space, but I was able to talk to my manager about it and she was really supportive and helped me. So I think certainly Deborah's openness and honesty has contributed to that sort of more general feeling that we can talk about our mental health issues and we're not going to be penalised or looked down on as a result of it. Um, and that actually we're going to be supported, which is exactly how I felt um, when, when I shared that. And, and actually, I think being able to share that sooner stopped me from going down that hole that I felt I could be going down. I've thought a lot about what does it mean as a senior leader to um, share that you've experienced a mental health problem. And What's been interesting to me in terms of my own journey and, and, and d what do I think about stigma? So I think we're much less likely now to discriminate, but I think we're not as likely to wrap our arms around that person and to see it as, a, as an illness. I think we still too often see it as a, as a weakness or a vulnerability. I think we're less likely to think someone might recover. So when I, I, I first came back to work, having felt you know, well myself, I was like, yeah, this is fine. Why wouldn't I worry? Why don't I sh talk about it, share it? But actually, in hindsight, I realised it's because in my own head, I hadn't named it. So in my own head, I hadn't said I had a mental illness. I talked about having fallen over, having been under a bit of pressure, being exhausted, but I didn't actually say I had a mental illness. And then as time went by, and, and I realised that actually I had had a period of mental uh, illness, I then did feel a bit uncomfortable about saying that out loud. And that's when I then reconnected with, with myself and thought, hang on a minute, you have to walk the talk, you have to live your own beliefs and values, and as a, as a senior leader, even more so. Hi Mark, thanks for your time. Just need a few minutes with you. Have you got time? Yes, of course, no problem. Do you remember we were talking, there was some... Health Education England, earlier in 2019 produced a report entitled NHS Staff and Learners Mental Wellbeing Commission and in that report is a really important recommendation that every NHS trust needs to have a wellbeing guardian at board level. Mark Petroni is the executive board champion for mental health wellbeing at Gloucestershire. 
and he's also the medical director. Mark foresaw the positive impact that Deborah sharing her story would have on the overall culture in the trust. So we're going to be running the baseline oh, are we? soon. Oh, great. Okay. And then we'll get a baseline, and then that, all, all medical staff. That's the plan. Yeah. Okay. And then that will give us a way. When I read Deborah's blog about her uh, mental health um, experiences, I read it and I paused and I thought, fantastic, because it opens the door to conversations. This is the person at the top of the organisation saying, it's okay to talk about my own personal struggles with mental health issues and it sets the tone for the rest of the organisation and if you want to change cultures within organisations it has to start at the top and if the top of the organisation isn't interested in something then people lower down the organisation will find it hard to make it happen even if they want to. As executives in an organisation this size you know obviously you can't do everything yourself in fact that would be counterproductive um, but you need to create um, both the infrastructure and the processes but also the permissions of the culture and tell people that this is okay, it's all right to talk about these things, we're going to take it seriously, um, and um, that's fine. And that's, that's what the blog um, meant to me, and that's why I thought it was such a fantastic um, piece. What struck me is just how powerful the voice of a chief executive is in an organisation like this. I mean, I come from a really regular upbringing, and it keeps taking me back the kind of deference that people show me and it really does surprise me but what I've come to terms with it, it is just the way it is that when I say something people listen and if I champion a cause it's more likely to succeed than if I don't and I think we've got different opportunities so not everyone can talk about a personal experience in the way that I can about mental health um, so, I, so I, do, I, do, I do get that but most people will be able to connect with some aspect of mental health if it's not personally through friends or, or colleagues or family members and I just think that personal stories are just the most powerful. And it was those powerful stories and championing it from Deborah and her deputy Emma Wood who is registered disabled that helped the Trust to achieve the funding needed to launch their health and wellbeing hub which in its infancy is already starting to prove its value talking to a member of staff just two weeks ago who had uh, connected with the, the with Health and Wellbeing Hub expecting to get a referral to Oak Health to be signed off because she was going through a, 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 a phase of feeling really unwell and she sent me a note to say it was amazing. I have had this great interaction with the Mental Health and Wellbeing Hub. Uh, I've met with them with my line manager who's now much more comfortable about making some changes for me so that I can have a later start. She was struggling with depression, she struggles to wake up early, she needs to start in the mid-morning, she comes in at eight, she feels so wretched, by nine o'clock she needs to go home. So um, just for a few weeks she's going to come in late morning and work into the evening because by then she's feeling more like she's on top of the world and her line manager's comfortable with that and she's staying at work. She's staying at work and not only does, is that great for her and for us but it means that probably um, if she'd gone off, she wouldn't have been off for a week or a day, she'd have been off for a long time, because part of keeping her well is her network, it's been at work. So why should other trusts, other boards take mental health seriously? It's a bit of a no-brainer. You know, one in four people will have a mental health issue in their lifetime. One in six people have one at any one time in this country. And that means there'll be hundreds of people in most trusts who are struggling with mental health issues or with family members or loved ones with caring responsibilities. And supporting your staff, either themselves or in terms of their caring responsibilities, will make your staff feel valued uh, and they will look after their patients better. And also be better able to look after mental health issues in patients or the physical health issues of people with mental health 
problems. So it's a it's a win-win actually. One of the challenges I think for any leader, particularly in the NHS, is how do you prioritise the right things? So it does come back to values and what you believe in, but also I think it it comes back to the evidence base. So if you're not values driven, if you're not values driven, if you haven't had the experience that I've had personally, uh, if you're a scientist or you're driven by, by data or numbers, is go to the data and the numbers because it's overwhelming. Is the better your staff's health and well-being, then uh, the more productive they'll be. So if you like productivity, they'll be more productive. If you really care about caring, then they'll be more caring. So the more positive staff experiences, the more positive patient experiences, uh, staff that are healthy psychologically particularly, so there's a big relationship between psychological safety and safety. So if a surgeon, anaesthetist, scrub nurse feels psychologically safe when they're in theatre, there's less likely to be a never event. So there's loads of ways of connecting health and wellbeing to the big agendas that matter. And I think that's our challenge, is not allowing it to be perceived as pink and fluffy, but seeing it as the fundamental crux of, of everything. All three contributors use their own experience to offer up advice to help trusts better improve their staff's mental health well-being. Abby, how trusts can change cultures. Deborah, how to better equip managers. And Mark, how to get board level buy-in. I think other trusts can learn from Deborah's approach by recognising that everyone is human and everyone experiences ups and downs in life. Um, me, just as much as the chief executive, as much as the chair, as much as anyone working here. Um, leaders play a huge part in role modelling and um, setting the tone of the organisation. And therefore, if leaders are able to safely disclose their own issues and show their own vulnerability to, to the rest of the workforce. I think that is really beneficial in terms of creating that culture where people feel, oh, this is, it's okay to have this, it's okay, it's acceptable. You need to know the health of your, of your line management structures. You don't assume that they're all working well when it comes to supporting staff with mental health issues because many line managers just won't have encountered it. And if they have, they won't necessarily have had a a good experience. One of the things that we've learned through a kind of series of discovery conversations with groups of the staff is that that line managers aren't great at managing people with mental health uh, issues. They're awkward. They don't know what to do with it. They're much happier if somebody needs the height of their chair changing because they've you know, got a broken leg or you know whatever. But they're not great at thinking about about that. So we created this role around what we call mental health first aid workers, where it was. Uh, it's, it's, it's just volunteers in our workforce who've said, you know, I'd be prepared to be um, kind of signposted as that person in my team. Sometimes board members feel overwhelmed with the um, breadth of their responsibility. And so perhaps coming with some simple things you might be asking them to do. So um, rather than just going to a board member and saying, um, we'd like you to fix all the problems around mental health and this trust, come up with some uh, achievable uh, asks. So for example, um, it's World Mental Health Day or Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, we're going to have a meeting. We'd like to sponsor a meeting. Um, why don't you come and be the face of the board at the meeting? Give them simple things that they can do that are achievable, that get them engaged, and then perhaps have a conversation about whether they want to take it on as a champion role. And these things tend to snowball.
is certainly inspiring. It's inspiring for me as someone who is in a leadership role. And I think it has inspired other people to start being more open about their own experiences. What Deb's blog said to me was, I'm human like you, this is normal. This is what happens to people um, in every part of society, in every walk of life. And I'm happy to talk about what happened to me. And I'd really like you to be comfortable talking about what happened to you. One of the responsibilities of leaders is not just to lead the organisations you're in, but is to recognise that you can set the tone for leadership more, more generally. It's been a great pleasure in me introducing this podcast. I think it's absolutely excellent that Deborah took this initiative when she did and the impact that it's had will give us great enthusiasm for working on this in future years. The key messages for me is how other leaders in the service can take example from Deborah, the importance of leadership in furthering the mental health and health and well-being agenda, the need for leaders to tackle stigma associated with mental health and enable cultures that prioritise staff mental health. And finally, the impact of mental health on the wider workforce. I'm particularly pleased that a chief executive of an acute NHS trust has spoken out about this. For some while, the mental health sector has been championing the issue of better mental health within the workforce. But it's really only when other sectors within health and the wider public sector take the lead in this that we will start seeing some cultural change. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Visit our website at nhsemployers.org forward slash wellbeing where you'll be able to access resources to help you support the mental wellbeing of your staff.